Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. In this episode, editor Larry Stewart talks with Richard Branch, Chief Economist for Dodge Data and Analytics. Richard focuses on ensuring Dodge's expertise in tracking, analyzing, and forecasting construction activity, and is also a contributing author for the Construction Market Forecasting Service, which provides five-year projections for 22 U.S. building types. Today, he explains how worse-than-expected Q1 gross domestic product numbers influenced the outlook for the economy and construction spending in 2020. Let's dig in with Larry and Richard now. Hi, Larry Stewart here with 4constructionpros.com. Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm here with uh, Richard Branch, who's Chief Economist with Dodge Data and Analytics. And I had a chance to tune into a webcast with uh, that Richard posted uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, that forecasting the, the expectations for 2020 in both uh, macroeconomic, but most importantly, a, uh, a construction economy um, uh, expectations for the rest of the year. Uh, and Richard, we, we just heard uh, about GDP numbers uh, the other day. Um, what, uh, what did you get out of those numbers and how did that affect your forecast? Sure, uh, Larry. Thanks for for having me on, and uh, exciting to talk about this stuff. There's there's obviously a great deal of uncertainty, but a, a great thirst for for this kind of information. So very happy to chat with you about that. Uh, so yeah, heading into um, when we first produced our forecast back in in late March, early April, we had assumed first quarter gross domestic product would. Uh, contract would shrink by two and a half percent. The number that was released yesterday by the Bureau of Economic Analysis actually pegged that at minus 4.8 percent on an annualized basis. Uh, so a little uh, steeper decline than what we were anticipating, but I think overall broadly in line with, with expectations. Um, weakness was uh, pretty widespread across most segments of the economy. Consumer spending was down, business investment was down, exports uh, you name it, really the only positive signs in the first quarter in terms of the GDP numbers uh, was residential investment. Uh, residential construction actually had a very, very strong uh, first quarter. Um, so that obviously had led us to, to rethink our 2020 expectations for economic growth. Uh, we think that the worst is yet to come. Uh, second quarter growth in the U.S. economy will probably be, uh, in terms of GDP growth, will probably contract by about 25% in the second quarter um, on an annualized basis. Just just to put that into perspective, uh, if we go back to uh, the Great Recession uh, at the end of uh, the fourth quarter of, of 2008, I believe, uh, the worst quarter for GDP growth during the Great Recession, uh, that was an 8. 5% decline, I believe. Um, so this will be much worse than that. If, if we go back to the Great Depression, uh, back into the 30s, uh, back then GDP wasn't uh, released on a quarterly basis, just annual. But in 1932, uh, GDP shrank by 13%. So if you think about what that second quarter will look like, it, it'll be pretty pretty dire. Um, that being said, uh, you know, following our assumptions on, on the track of the virus, and, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that, that we're economists, we're not uh, healthcare experts. Um, so we've been relying on models from um, other consulting firms, 
excuse me, from the administration and and whatnot, uh, that we expect that the peak number of cases uh, will occur at some point in May. Uh, it looks like the curve has already started to flatten out thanks to the, the physical distancing and, and stay-at-home orders. Um, so that the peak of the virus is in May and that the number of cases starts to slow down uh, or shrink in, in late summer in July and August. So what that sets up then for the third quarter is um, uh, a bit of a bounce back as, as businesses reopen. Uh, there will certainly be pent-up demand. Um, but bear in mind, though, that even as the economy bounce back, bounces back a little bit in in the third quarter, we're looking at a plus 13% for GDP um, in the third quarter. We're not in the third quarter, right. Uh, we're, we're not going to make up all that lost all that ground that we lost in, in Q1, in Q2. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're probably looking at something like 15 to 20 million jobs lost in the second quarter. Uh, yeah. And it, it's going to be a while to get that back. So for the full year, you know, it's going to kind of be once we get past the third quarter, assuming our viral assumptions are correct, it's going to be a little bit like walking in mud. So starting up, restarting a service economy is, is slow going in terms of giving people the faith and the confidence to, to re-enter stores and restaurants and airplanes and hotels and whatnot. That, that's going to take time until there's a virus, or sorry, until there's a vaccine uh, or until there's a treatment. Um, so for the full year, finally getting around to answering your question, uh, for the full year, we're looking at GDP shrinking by 3.5%. Uh, um, heading into that April webinar, which you referenced, uh, we were looking at GDP declining by 2.2%. So we have underwritten that GDP uh, number slightly based on, on the first quarter uh, release from yesterday. Well, that's curious because I mean, I remember your, in your initial uh, forecast, you were looking at an eighteen point yeah. percent decrease in the second quarter, and now mm -hmm. now at twenty five percent. You know, yeah. first of all, that's a significant uh, change there. But but mm -hmm. you're you're expecting an even bigger bounce back uh, in the third quarter. Uh, again, your initial forecast was eleven percent for Q three, yeah. and now you're saying fifteen. What's the thirteen uh, percent? Uh, uh, Sorry, thirteen. Well, Sorry, my bad. Yep. I, I yep. probably remembered it wrong. Um, the so so what uh, what gives you the confidence that the that the economy will come back that strongly in Q three? Yeah, you're, you're you're spot on. I, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty that the the ground, the foundation on which we we create this forecast, just to use a construction analogy, that foundation is constantly shifting. Um, in, in terms of why we wrote down the second quarter, it does appear that you know that the economic data is is just generally coming in worse than what consensus estimates were and then that you know that the great sign of that is that first quarter GDP number uh, coming in a couple percent below what we had expected um, but uh, again following the track of the virus uh, assuming that things start to, to I'm going to use air quotes here normalize in Q3 uh, that that pent-up demand will lead to some sort of a rebound in consumer spending especially uh, as businesses start to reopen you know just just getting your hair cut for the first time in a couple months um, uh, things like that uh, again but th this is not a full recovery in Q3 it, it will be just a bounce back based on how low things are going in the second quarter 
Yeah, yeah. What what are the the big variables uh, affecting the speed of that recovery? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what's what are the downside variables? I guess kind of one of the, my, the nature of my question. We're you know we're yeah. looking at at states restarting economies yep. and and a lot of sort of question about whether or not not now's the right time. I mean, have you looked at the at, at the scenarios in which there's a there's a resurgence of of uh, infections in in some of those areas? We we haven't run scenarios through our models that that would um, account for that, but I think that is the most serious downside risk that as these economies start to reopen and um, that that we start to see that that curve which had been flattening out, if we start to see that tick up again, and should that lead to even more draconian measures in terms of shutting down economies and and keeping people at home, that could obviously cause a further retrenchment. Uh, in, in growth that would spill from Q2 and into uh, Q3 as well and certainly undermine that number. I think the other variable here is uh, stimulus. Um, uh, you know, with phase three that was uh, released at the beginning of, uh, or the end of March, excuse me, uh, and then the the update to the Triple P program that was uh, approved by Congress and signed by the president last week, that's certainly a good start. Um, so there's the upside potential should we see more stimulus money directed at uh, relief for individuals and businesses that are hard hit. Um, that could certainly help. Um, uh, could certainly help a bit more um, and and push the forecast maybe a little bit higher. But so, like I said, the foundation on which we we're, we're producing this forecast is shifting much more than than what would happen in, in a normal um, in, in normal times. Yeah, we really are in uncharted territory. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Uh, well, well, you know, shifting more to the, into the construction sector, um, uh, you know, just recently I I heard, um, excuse me, I heard uh, reports from I can't remember uh, John Burns. Uh, I think it is the, the name that I'm thinking of uh, uh, um, a realty company talking about some. Unexpected increases in first-time home buyers uh, mm. buying new homes. Um, your uh, residential um, uh, forecast for the year, I found um, encouraging and a little surprising uh, in in the uh, strengths that you were looking at in the second half of the year in single-family housing. What, have you heard any any things that that, that affect your your ex- expectations there? Um, no, we're, we're, we're certainly keeping our eye on the, uh, on home sales and, and listing numbers. You know, the, the thing that concerns us with, uh, any type of construction, but I think more so in, in single fam is obviously there's a workforce issue. Um, you know, that this, this is a workforce uh, for, for construction that's already been hobbled by the lack of skilled and available labor. So as people are out sick, as, as you're home with your kids, that if they're not in school, that could certainly slow construction down. But I, I think in terms of single fam directly, uh, the 
the major concern here in terms of the consumer, in terms of potential home buyers, uh, we're somewhere north of, of 23 or 24 million initial claims for unemployment insurance. Um, we will be looking at, uh, you know, again, 15 million job losses potentially, uh, 15 to 20 million job losses in the second quarter potentially. Uh, that will undermine significantly the ability for first-time home buyers to, to purchase. Um, and that repairing of the household balance sheet will take a long time to recover. Again, the economic recovery here, barring further stimulus, will be a bit like walking through mud. It'll be very sluggish. Uh, and then you need to add to that the seller side of this. Uh, we, we've been at least reading anecdotally that, that listings are down, um, perhaps because people are just weary about the, the home selling process, uh, given that, you know, will people be coming into my home uh, to look at it, uh, given physical distancing and whatnot. So we're, we're hearing listings are down, which of course, we're already in an inventory crunch for single family. Um, so the, the fact that listings are down certainly doesn't help that. So, uh, you know, I, I think at present we're, we're comfortable with our single fam forecast. Um, multifam, I, I think, you know, there's a lot more exposure on the multifam side due to um, a lot of the high-end construction that's happened in places like New York and in Boston, San Francisco, Chicago. And again, back to the home or, or back to the consumer and abilities to pay rent, um, you know, I think will certainly hurt developers and owners of, of multifamily properties uh, considerably. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we, just, just to get into the weeds a little bit on the, the numbers, I, I'm trying to remember the, the quarterly numbers. I know that, that Q2 was a hellscape for the, the housing market, something like a, a 50% drop in, in sales uh, in, in Q2 for single family, but, but a, a pretty reasonable um, a recovery in the back half of the year, if I remember correctly. I yeah. know it was down overall. Remind us of the numbers. Yeah, so so we're looking at um, uh, for single family construction, we're we're looking at uh, the total for 2020 to be down 10 percent. Um, we do think that the second quarter is the worst, and that as we get into Q3 and Q4, there's a bit of a modest uh, recovery uh, for single fam. Uh, I, I, I do think, though, as we get into 2021, we're looking at an increase of around 5% for single-family units. I, I think if there's anything that this crisis will bring us um, is it might accelerate that Mo movement of millennials and, and stereotyping here, but a lot of that, uh, a, a lot of millennials are living in urban multifamily structures. And given the the virus and and given that the concern about proximity to other people, could this accelerate a move out to the suburbs uh, for the millennials? So I think this is a potential upside once we get that economic, once households get their balance sheets repaired. I think this could potentially accelerate that growth for single family construction. Again, once we get back to the you know the back half of 2020 uh you know q3 q4 and into 2021 yeah yeah and i think that's what uh what john burns was uh mm. was measuring i think that you know it was a it was a couple of weeks of of improved um activity in the in mostly in some some specific areas with people moving out of high density um right. housing and into into some some single family um yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, not that it's not a it, it's it's not a groundswell yet, but it was apparently just some encouraging numbers to to talk about. Um, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the um, uh, the commercial building side uh, has kind of kind of got an interesting dichotomy going, and, 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 and it looks to me like one of the one of the really encouraging parts is that is that the the biggest part of that sector, warehousing, uh, biggest by far, is, uh, may, may have some pretty significant upside, uh, if not right away, but it, it, it does well through 2020 and, and starts coming back strong in 2021. Talk a little about that, if you would. Sure. So, so warehouse construction, in terms of our data, actually set a record in, in 2019. So we've been tracking construction data going back to 1967. Um, and uh, warehouse construction, in terms of, of new and, and additions uh, of warehouse facilities, hit 336 million square feet in 2019. That's a record. Uh, I, I think the you know certainly the acceleration over the past cycle since the recession in terms of online sales and the growth of Amazon and whatnot has really pushed warehouses that push that warehouse construction along these massive distribution centers. So that I, I, I think the the stay-at-home orders and whatnot I think accelerates that trend even more. You know Amazon is doing very well uh, throughout this crisis. Um, first quarter starts for warehouses were very strong, pretty much at the pace that we saw in, in 2019. Um, now, we had actually anticipated Amazon to kind of shift how they build in 2020 away from these massive two and three million square foot properties uh, into more urban settings in order to satisfy same day delivery. Uh, those urban centers would be smaller warehouses, but I think that's gone by the wayside now. Um, I think Amazon will be under increased pressure uh, to up their inventories. They run inventories pretty lean. Uh, and if you've tried to order anything on Amazon Prime uh, since this crisis began, uh, the delivery times have all been pushed way out. Uh, so I think Amazon will really continue to accelerate um, in, in terms of their building. So we're really looking at warehouse construction, the essentially being a V-shape uh, down in Q2 um, pretty sharply, and a lot of that's just economic, a lot of that's uh, constraints over where you can build with lockdowns in places like Pennsylvania and New York. Uh, but the, by the time we get into Q3 and Q4, we're right back at, at the normal pace um, and that we're looking at 2021. And so for, for 2020, uh, a small 1% decline, uh, so pretty much hovering at that record level that was set in 2019, and a 7% increase for 2021, bringing us essentially the breaking that record that we set in 2019. So I think, yeah, warehouse is, is one of the clear winners, in our opinion, um, coming out of this crisis. Yeah, and, and the total number of square feet there is, you know, easily double the size of any other uh, commercial building sectors. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, that's that's a, a category that's got some real some real gravity uh, in terms of, of keeping things moving forward. Correct. Um, uh, and, and you know probably the um, the, the the close oh you know before I go on to that I want to ask you we talk we hear, we talk a lot about Amazon we talk about warehousing and uh, mm -hmm. the online media what what are the uh, what are the other competitors there that people should be looking for in in the online field yeah yeah in, the, in warehouse construction is what I was thinking you know uh, not necessarily online but I mean. Sure. You know, again, you know, we've got a lot of people out there looking for work. <laughs> and yeah. Thinking, you know, everybody knows about Amazon, that they're a target. Is there, are there other um, retailers that are doing a pretty significant amount of, uh, of building? 
Yeah, I think, you know, it, even if you look at Target, you look at Walmart, um, they have all upped their online presence, even Home Depot, uh, through this crisis. So, you know, Amazon is clearly the, the big player in terms of e-commerce fulfillment, but the amount of stuff that's being shipped by those, what you would call traditional big box retailers, the, the Walmarts and the Targets and the whatnot, um, certainly has been increasing. Uh, so they're not as big player as uh, Amazon, but certainly I think they're following that same trend uh, in, in terms of that shift away from uh, from being in-store to, to the e-commerce side. So certainly I think that that's another opportunity there outside of yeah. Amazon. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it looks pretty um, dramatic uh, uh, for 2020, you forecast a 13% decrease in office construction, but mm. how, much, how much of that decrease were you expecting even before the, the virus um, factored into things? Yeah, we were we were looking at um, somewhere in the single digits, you know, minus four, minus five, I believe, for, for okay. office construction heading into it. Um, we had expected, uh, you know, the, the office market's really kind of split into three categories. It, we don't track it this way, but in terms of risk, um, the speculative office, so, you know, you build and you rent, uh, that's obviously will, will be much weaker than we had anticipated, especially in larger metropolitan areas. You know, there, there will certainly be an uptick in vacancy rates. Um, the part of the market that I think is probably the most stable is is the dedicated build to suit, you know, headquarter kind of properties. So Amazon building their facility down in DC and Apple over in Austin, Texas. Um, so that part of the, the, the market's pretty stable. And then I think the growth side of the office is, is we, cal we, we uh, include data centers as office construction. So I think along the similar line to warehouses, uh, you know, that's, that's a growth opportunity. And that's what's really propping, you know, the 13% decline. It would probably be much worse than that if we, had, if we didn't include data centers uh, in that category. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> institutional building uh, starts, you know, tend to, tend to be longer term, a little mm -hmm. less um, economically uh, affected, a little, little less reactive to, to uh, their immediate economics around there. And then obviously, um, uh, you know, the healthcare is part of that category. So there's mm -hmm. some, some clear growth opportunities there. But, you know, the, the one area I wanted to talk a little bit about was, was non-building starts, um, and particularly as it relates to the, to the stimulus uh, spending that, that you mentioned earlier, um, uh, what uh, what are you expecting? How how much of the stimulus are you expecting to affect the um, spending categories like like highways and bridges uh, and and things like that? Yeah, great question. So. In, in our forecast, we've not so all the stimulus packages that have been released to date uh, by the by Congress and the pre and signed by the president, none of those have have explicitly included stimulus funds directed towards infrastructure construction. Um, there is the potential that should there be a phase four or a phase five or phase six, that uh, there could be infrastructure spending. Um, in those, so we, we've actually not included uh, any potential future stimulus towards infrastructure in the numbers. Uh, I think trying trying to predict what what Congress would do on a good day um, is 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 difficult. Um, so and, and given how quickly and, and they're under the same gun in terms of we are in, in, in terms of trying to figure out 
what the real depth here is in, in terms of the economy. Um, so we, we felt it more prudent to not include, uh, basically, basically, we felt it prudent to not include numbers that we'd essentially just be making up uh, in terms of assumption for what could potentially go. Uh, the one piece we are including is um, that has not been passed yet is the replacement for the FAST Act. Uh, that's the five-year surface transportation bill that expires on September 30th. Um, the Senate Public Works Committee approved, unanimously approved, a replacement for it um, in the fall or late summer uh, that would increase annual spending by on average uh, of about $10 billion a year. Um, we think that because that came out of the Senate committee unanimously. Uh, apparently, it does have the support of the majority leader in the Senate, uh, as well as the president, that we think that that goes through in short order, uh, potentially uh, by summer. Um, and so that's, a, we're looking at a 12% increase for highway and bridge construction next year to $80, $80 billion. And, and much of that is due to that potential increase or the, in, the, in the replacement for the FAST Act. Wow. Okay. So, is that a is that a change from your forecast from from April? Uh, no, no. We were still we were still looking at a, an eighty billion dollar increase, or sorry, a twelve percent increase to eighty billion dollars in in our April uh, April forecast okay. in, in the okay. webinar that we did at the beginning of the month. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, power and gas plants uh, are are moving rel relatively significantly, but that's that's almost independent of the uh, the, the the coronavirus. It seems. It is. So uh, power and gas plants grew 122% in 2019, uh, you, know, you know, more than doubling. Uh, that was due to several large um, LNG export plants. Uh, so we include those in our power and gas plant category. Those are multi-billion dollar properties. A lot of the a few broke ground in 2019. Uh, we had anticipated that some more would break ground in 2020 that FERC has approved. Um, but given global economics right now in terms of where global oil and gas prices are, uh, we've actually removed those uh, heading into our April forecast. We took those out and pushed them into 2021. So yeah, it's a pretty stark payback in terms of power and gas plants this year, down 47%. Um, to $28 billion. If, if there's an upside to that power in the gas plant number and it gets lost just with the magnitude of those LNG facilities, is this fact, this, this category also includes a utility scale uh, renewable power, so utility grade solar and wind. And we have seen uh, just a plethora of wind projects break ground. Um, last year as well as this year, and I think that's a, that's a potential opportunity. I, I think that as those technologies get closer and closer to grid parity without subsidies, um, we'll continue to see uh, that construction move forward. Uh, help me understand grid parity um, sure. without So subsidies. basically that the, the, the price per kilowatt of uh, an electron being produced by a, a wind or a solar facility is essentially on par with the dollar or cent per kilowatt of uh, that elect same electron being produced by a coal or natural gas plant. I see. All right, and we're and we're the point is we're moving that direction. We're getting. It seems to be moving as as the technology and the efficiency has improved uh, in those technologies. Uh, we we seem to be moving very very quickly in that direction. I see. I see. So that's that's a, a growth with with momentum. It's it's not. not I would think die. so. Yeah, I, I would think so. 
not going to die based on government uh, um, fiat if they decide to stop supporting it. It's not that that market's not just going to go away. No, you know, there, there was uh, production ca tax credits and uh, investment tax credits for wind uh, that have been on a sliding scale. Um, yeah. So they, they get reduced as the time goes on, but it has not slowed down that production just because the technology and the economics have improved significantly. So you tend not to need those, rely on those subsidies and those, those, those subsidies and investments um, and credits uh, in order to make your, your, your renewable project economically feasible. Yeah. Well, Richard, it's, uh, this, this is one of those areas that, that uh, at least from my perspective, is, is really interesting, and I suppose an awful lot of folks out there, given our current situation, this, this is where the, the uh, um, people's attention are focused on, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with the economy, and, and uh, uh, you know, as we, you know, get, get our hands around uh, the virus and the, and the disease, uh, you know, and all of the human uh, issues there you know this is this is really really where the the next uh, next um, real attention is and I sure appreciate you taking the time to kind of give us your vision uh, on this and uh, appreciate everything you do and uh, look forward to, to hearing what uh, what comes up next I'm happy to do it and then glad to talk and uh, I hope you stay safe and healthy Thank you too, Richard. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you to Richard Branch of Dodge Data and Analytics for taking the time to talk with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. And be sure to subscribe and share. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.